Jesus said, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we're going to be talking about what it means to be thirsty for righteousness. And I thought, what better way to illustrate being thirsty than being at a coffee shop? We're at Neat Coffee Shop in Costa Mesa. It's one of the best coffee shops in Southern California. And this is Georgia, the barista. Thank you so much, yeah, Fist Bump, for being here and hosting us today. Coffee is a spectrum. So some of us drink coffee this way. We use a Keurig. And if you woke up this morning and this is how you drank coffee, you likely did not do it because you love coffee. You did it just for the result of the caffeine. And I get it. When I first started drinking coffee, wasn't a huge coffee fan. When I was in high school, I, I didn't like coffee at all. I was like some of the teenagers that go to Starbucks and get the pink drink because they don't want coffee. And then I got my doctorate. And while I was in my dissertation phase, for nine months, 5 p.m. to 2 a.m., I worked every single day. And I needed some caffeine. So I threw myself into coffee. And I've been this guy since then. It's the people who like coffee more than these people like coffee but not as much as these people. These coffee drinkers, those of you who have your own Chemex and you read coffee blogs, I mean, you are the folks who have it going on. Georgia, am I right? You got it. And so this is that type of coffee. And when people drink this coffee, they're not only drinking it for the result, they're not only drinking it for the caffeine, but they're also drinking it because they just love coffee. Caffeine is the result, it's the byproduct, but they're after the coffee itself. So Georgia, talk to us about this and why is this so special? Why do people love this so much? Yeah, so a pour over is just a more methodical way to have drip coffee in the morning. And it's something that you can do with like a lot of patience and a lot of knowing of what you're gonna get as the result. And um, it's just a more specific way to know what you're gonna get. All right, so some people rush and do this because it's, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. This take a lot, takes a lot longer. Sure. So, yeah, this takes usually about three minutes. And what you're getting from this versus that is you're getting, like, the real thing versus something that's um, quick, easy, you're going, going, going. This kind of makes you slow down. It makes you enjoy what you're having, why you're having it, and really just getting a richer taste and better bang for your buck. And so it's a it's a process, but those who do it, they, they don't just enjoy the end result. They actually enjoy the process. Totally. You're not going to go take a shower and let your coffee go. You're going to sit down. You're going to enjoy whoever you're with or your time by yourself making your coffee. Some of us, at times in our life, we are really like this. I've been like this, where... I'm not after Jesus, I'm just after what he gives me. We show up at church sometimes or read the Bible and there's times where we are in it not for him, but for what he gives us, for the things he'll do for us, for how he'll bless us. But when Jesus says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's really speaking about a spiritual life where we would be in it for him where we would be hungry and thirsty for Jesus because Jesus is ultimate righteousness. And here's the good news. When you're hungry and thirsty for him, you get him and you get the result of happiness. So when he speaks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he's not talking about us being in it just for what he gives us. He's speaking about our hearts being so affectionate and so tuned towards him that we're in it for him. We're after Jesus and his righteousness. And when we are, we get happiness thrown in. And you know what's interesting? Do you know what, the, what Keurig in Dutch stands for? Let's hear it. It stands for neat. 
incredible. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So, <laughs> so this is neat, and this is neat. Yeah. But only one of them is really neat. Yeah. There yeah. we go. <laughs> so cheesy. Just laughing. <laughs> All right. It's cheesy. It's cheesy. But hopefully you get you get the point. Jesus in Matthew chapter five verse six. He's speaking about happiness, and that's why we called this series How to Be Happy. He's speaking about real happiness, not temporary happiness, but real, lasting joy and happiness. And in verse 6, he says, blessed or happy, in the original language, it's the word makarios, and it means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He doesn't say, happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness, for they will be filled. But happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So he's saying, if you just are after the end result, you'll miss the end result and you'll miss me. But if you're after me, if you pursue the best, and Jesus is the best, he's the ultimate righteous one. If you pursue righteousness, you get Jesus and you get happiness thrown in. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. So we're going to talk about what it means to hunger and thirst. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're going to talk about what it means to hunger after righteousness. And then we're going to talk about what it means to be filled. So we're going to walk through this one phrase today. Here's three thoughts. and You have this in your bulletin, in your listening guide. But the first one is this. All of us are hungry and thirsty for something. Jesus knows that every single person here, we have this in common. Everyone in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, everyone has this in common. We hunger and thirst at all times for something. And he's not speaking about physical hunger and physical thirst, but a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst, a longing spiritually a longing and a hunger for something. So everyone in here, Christian or non-Christian, been at Mariners for decades, first time ever, we all have this in common. We thirst after something at all times. And if you're, you're not yet a Christian, we're so glad you're here. And I want, I want us to all understand how the Bible actually explains our hunger, how the Bible explains our thirst. Here's how the scripture explains it, that you were created to be thirsty. That God who loves you created you, and he created you with a hunger and a thirst. But because we don't hunger and thirst for him, but we're still hungry and thirsty, we replace him as the object of our hunger with things that are less than him, with things that are not him, and those things don't satisfy. So Jesus is saying, listen, all of you are hungry, all of you are thirsty at all times. You always pursue something, but the only one who's quenched, the only one who's satisfied is the one who pursues righteousness. In the Broadway musical that everyone raves about Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton sings a song, never satisfied. He goes up to a girl that he's picking up on and he's going to have a relationship with her on the side. And he's saying, you're just like me. You're never satisfied. And this was Alexander, Alexander Hamilton's life in the musical. He was hungry and thirsty. He never was quenched. He was never satisfied. And because he was never satisfied, it led him down a myriad of destructive directions. And we are never satisfied 
until we hunger and thirst after Jesus and his righteousness. C.S. Lewis was a famous philosopher and author and theologian, and he gave a commencement speech at King's College in London. It was a prestigious, is a prestigious university, and it's a very famous commencement speech, graduation speech. You can, you can search for it online. It's called The Inner Ring. And in his speech, he gets up and he says, listen, you're, you're anticipating college grads, that you, you're graduating from this prestigious school, that I'm going to give you some advice. You know, that's what everybody does at graduation speeches. But I want to take a different direction, Lewis says, and I want to tell you what's going to happen to you as you go to this new prestigious job you have because you graduated from this prestigious school. You're going to hunger and thirst to be in the inside. You're going to get to that job, and you're going to find that there's this inside group, and you're going to want to be in the inside group. And so you're going to be tempted right away. Do you become someone you're not to get into the inside? Do you sell out your integrity? Do you lose who you are to get invited to that lunch table, to get invited to those parties because you so badly want to be in the inner ring? And Lewis tells the graduates, and many of you, that's what you'll do. You will sell out who you are to get connected to this inner ring. But when you get inside the inner ring, here's what you're going to find. You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to find out there's another inner ring. And you're going to decide again, do I want to, wow, I got to this inner ring and it didn't quench me. There's another inner ring of people. I want to get inside that group. And you're going to spend your life deciding if you're willing to lose who you are to get connected to this inner ring. He says this, very encouraging for a graduation speech. C.S. Lewis, he says this. As long as you are governed by that desire, you will never get what you want. You are trying to peel an onion. If you succeed, there will be nothing left. The quest for the inner ring will break you unless you break it. You could substitute the inner ring of a group of people with any of our pursuits in life, whether it's for affluence or influence, whether it's for uh, possessions or for climbing a corporate ladder, Lewis is saying that desire is going to break you. You're going to keep peeling back the onion and you're going to get what you wanted, but it's not going to satisfy. It's not going to quench. And you're going to find out in the end, there's nothing left. That desire is going to break you unless you break it. So how do I break it? The only way you break your hunger for things that are less than God is if you hunger and thirst for God himself. Because if you hunger and thirst for him, Jesus says, you will be satisfied. Which brings us to point number two. Happiness, Jesus says, is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now again, Jesus' words are so upside down. And you're gonna have to decide, I'm gonna have to decide if I really believe what he's saying. I mean, do we really believe that he knows us enough to say, I know exactly what happiness is for you? If we believe this, if we believe, and this is what the Christian faith teaches, that he created us and knows us so well, knows us better than we know ourselves, he is saying, I'm telling you, this is what happiness is. I know it's not what you will read in any other place, but happiness is actually thirsting after righteousness, hunger for righteousness. Now, what is that word righteous? What does this word mean? 
If you read the Bible, you'll see the word righteous over and over again throughout the scripture. And it means holiness. It means purity. It means otherworldly. So God is righteous and we all fall short. All of us, everyone in here, we fall short of God's righteousness. So he's otherworldly. He's different from us. And theologians take that word righteous and they divide it into two categories. And this will be helpful for you as you read the scripture. The first category is positional righteousness. And the second category is personal righteousness. Now, let me explain. This will help you as you read the Bible. Positional righteousness is for those of us who've become a Christian, we still struggle. All of us struggle, but we are positionally right before God. Meaning he looks at us and he doesn't see our sin. God looks at you and he doesn't see your faults. He looks at you and he sees the perfection of his son Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus covering your life. And so you are positionally right before God. So this week, even if you blew it, you messed up, you're like, man, I I sinned, I keep messing up. If you're his, if you're a Christian, you're positionally right before God. Does that make sense? Here's an, uh, here's an illustration for that. This will help you try to understand it. When I was in second or third grade, I grew up in the New Orleans area. My dad would go to work in the mornings. It was summertime, and I didn't have um, a, a full-time job or anything. I'm like in second grade. But my dad gives me some chores to do, some things, son, that you're going to do um, since you live in our house. There's things you're going to do while I'm gone. They weren't complex. They weren't, they weren't difficult. They, but one of them was go to the mailbox and get the mail every day. And so I would go to the mailbox and it, the, the, the pavement in New Orleans is blistering hot. And so I'd run back as my feet were barefooted into the garage and thumb through the mail. And so I'm thumbing through the mail one day and I look through this, this big envelope and it, it's, there's um, a glass window, I mean, uh, a window there, not glass, but you know, one of those little windows on the envelope. And, and I could see it says, Gregory S. Geiger, that's my dad's name, congratulations, you are a multi-millionaire. <laughs> I'm second grade. I'm like, boom, <laughs> everything's changing in our life. Everything is going to be awesome from here on out. Everything's going to be amazing. I run inside. I call my dad's work number. He answers. I'm like, Dad, you got to come home. You can retire. I have this envelope. Everything is going to be amazing. We're millionaires. We're multi-millionaires now. It says it, Dad. It has your name. It says it. I had not heard of Publishers Clearinghouse. Until this moment, and, and, and students, you may not know what Publishers Clearinghouse was. There was people back in the day that would send letters to your house, and you'd walk to the mailbox, and it would say you're going to be a multimillionaire if you enter the sweepstake, but I didn't read the fine print. And so I'm explaining to my dad that we're going to be rich, and he says, son, that's not how the world works. I'll explain when I get home. He comes home, and he tells me, Eric, listen, this is, not, this is not how it works. No one just takes millions of dollars and takes it from their account and puts it into your account. Anything you're going to have in this life, it's going to be because you work for it and you earn it. You work, you earn, and then money gets put into your account. And my dad was right. That's not how the world works. But this is what's so amazing about how Jesus works. This is what's so amazing about the Christian faith. Because this is exactly what it means to be positionally righteous. 
that Jesus looks at us, that he looked at us in our poverty when we understood that we were poor in spirit, the very first beatitude. He looks at us and he gives us all of his perfection and all of his righteousness. We had nothing to offer him but our sin. He took our sin from us and took all of his righteousness, all of his perfection. It went from the account of Jesus when he was on the cross for us and it was given over to our account. Much more than millions of dollars, all of the righteousness of Jesus has been given to you. And Jesus then in exchange took all of your sin and my sin, and it was placed on him on the cross. That is what it means to be right before God. That's positional righteousness. And it's really good news. This, the world doesn't work this way, Eric. The world doesn't, but this is exactly how Jesus worked with you. And so you are right before him. Okay, so that's positional righteousness. Now, what about personal righteousness? Because this is really what Jesus is teaching in this beatitude. He's saying you're happy if you pursue, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so because, those of us who are Christians, because we are positionally right, we then, we want to, we want to hunger and thirst for Jesus because he's the one who's made us right. He's made us positionally right with himself. And so because of that, we're going to hunger and thirst after him. And we're only happy when we're hungering after him. Your happiness goes down when you lose taste buds for Jesus. Your happiness goes down when you aren't hungry and thirsty for him. There's three graduating high school seniors graduated in June, and they're going to college. And two of them are Christians and one isn't. And let's try to figure out which is going to be the most happy and which is going to be the least satisfied. You've seen this play out before. There's, there's three of them. One is a Christian, and this student has decided that when he goes off to college, man, I've seen a whole lot of stuff I want to do and I want to pursue things other than Jesus. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm still a Christian, but I'm going to put my faith on the side for a season and I'm going to throw myself into a whole bunch of other things. I st I'm a Christian, but it's not what I'm going to hunger and thirst after. The second student is a Christian and knows that he's not perfect, but is saying, you know, I'm going off to school and this is what I want. Um, at the end of school, hopefully four years, could be longer, but at the end of school, I want to know Jesus more and I want to have made a difference in people's lives. I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The third student is going off to school and doesn't even think of this, isn't a Christian, doesn't even know to think of this yet. God loves this person, but this person hasn't tasted that Jesus is good. This person hasn't had the best yet. This person hasn't found the forgiveness of Jesus yet. Of those three, as you study the scripture, which would be the most happy of those three? The student, the second student, right? The student who is hungering and thirsting after Jesus. Of those three, which would be the least satisfied? People debate this. Would it be the person who's not yet a Christian or would it be the person who is a Christian but in this moment isn't hungering and thirsting after Jesus? Yes, that one. 
this is what the scripture would teach. The reason this person, the one who is a Christian, but in this moment is not hungering after Jesus, isn't thirsty for righteousness, the reason this person is the least satisfied is really two reasons. One, this person has already tasted how awesome Jesus is. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So for those of us who are Christians, we've had the best, right? We've had the best. We've tasted that Jesus is amazing. And once you taste that Jesus is amazing, no offense to you carrot drinkers this morning, but once you've tasted the best, nothing else compares to how awesome Jesus is. And when Jesus moves in to your life, when the Spirit of God moves in, and he has for all of us Christians, when I hunger and thirst for something other than him, the spirit of God within me is not going to be content with that. The spirit of God in me is going to cause me to be uncomfortable with that. So I will never be satisfied because I've tasted that Jesus is good. I've tasted the best. And if I chase after something else, it's always less than the best. And the spirit of God in me will cause me to be uncomfortable with the reality that I'm not pursuing who he's already declared me to be. So happy are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness. And then here's number three, because they will be filled. Number three, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled. They are filled. Now, this word filled in the original language, if you look at your Bible, it's such an amazing word. The word filled here is the word that was used to describe animals that would go to a horse trough or a big feeding trough, and they would eat, and then they would lay down, take a nap, get up, and eat some more. They would eat, they would take another nap, and eat some more. They could eat over and over again, and then they were filled. That's the word for filled. It's not the word to describe. If you go to a really fancy restaurant, you pay a lot of money for this entree, and it's beautiful, and it looks like a piece of art, and it's tiny on this really large plate, and it's brought to you, and you eat it, and you're like, that was good, but can we stop it in and out on the way home? Because I'm not yet full. I'm not full. This is not the word for that. This word filled is that you are eating, and it is so good that you are absolutely, you are absolutely filled. And this is what's awesome about Jesus. Jesus fills you but he's absolutely free for you. And this phrase, everyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. Notice, this phrase does not say, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll fill yourself. Jesus isn't putting the pressure on you. He's not saying, listen, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then you work really hard to fill yourself. This isn't what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, all you do is you get hungry and thirsty for me, and I'm the one who fills you. I'm the meal. I'm the best. I'm the one who satisfies and quenches. You will be filled, and I'm the one who does the filling. Jesus is the best, and he's also free. A couple weeks ago, I took Evie, my, my youngest daughter, to San Francisco, it was just me and her on a daddy-daughter trip, and we decided one morning that we were going to bike over Golden Gate Bridge and then bike back to where we were staying. And she's nine, and so when we got to the other side of Golden Gate Bridge, 
she, quote unquote, is dying of hunger and thirst. And so at this point, we don't uh, go back over the bridge. We take the ferry from Sausalito back to the Fisherman's Wharf area. And just as would happen, if you're the only vendor on a ferry, you have the option, some call it capitalism, some call it price gouging, but you have the opportunity to charge whatever you want because when you have a daughter who's dying of thirst and is starving to death, you can charge whatever you want for, you can charge like 30 bucks for some Cheez-Its and a, and a water just because that's the only vendor you can get it from. Jesus has a monopoly on your satisfaction. Jesus has a monopoly on your happiness. But instead of gouging you, he offers you himself for free. This is how good Jesus is. He offers you himself for free. He has a monopoly on what you ultimately need to be quenched, and he gives it to you for free. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, God says this. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Jesus says, you just come and this is free and this will satisfy you. You will be filled, filled, filled. On that same trip with Evie a couple of weeks ago, I've learned as a dad who takes Evie on a trip that if I want her to see different parts of a city that we would go, um, I need to do something fun that would make exploring fun for her. So we did a chocolate tour of San Francisco. I, this was like, she was so giddy, a chocolate tour. And so the chocolate tour hosts, the tour guides, which were amazing, I didn't even realize this, that there's like a pecking level of chocolate just like there is of coffee, right? They would say, okay, um, like if you had a Hershey's bar on the chocolate tour, they would look at you like, like, the, like that is not good chocolate. And then they would look at Giardelli, you know, in San Francisco, they would look at like this. And then the places we went, we went to nine stops on this chocolate tour. And it is chocolatiers galore. It is the best chocolate. At stop three, I knew I needed to pace myself because it was so good and so filling. After stop seven, I could not eat anymore. Absolutely filled. And so maybe you think, well, if you're filled, would you want to eat it again? Do you want to eat a good meal after it fills you? Of course you do. We got home, and my wife Kay looks at us and says, what was the favorite part of the trip? What was the best part of the trip? Evie, the chocolate tour. Daddy, the chocolate tour. We ate and were filled, but because it was so filling and so satisfying, we will eat again. We would eat it again right now. And this is how Jesus is. He is the one who fills you and the one who satisfies you. And because he fills you and satisfies you, he doesn't just fill you and satisfy you once, but you want to eat again. You want him again. You still are hungry for his righteousness because he's the one who satisfies. So what do you do if you're not hungry for him? What do you do? There's times in my life, even as a pastor, where as I'm studying this passage, I realize I am not as hungry for Jesus as I need to be. 
And if I really believe Jesus, that the only way for me to be satisfied and happy is if I hunger for him, what do I do when I realize I'm not as hungry for him as I need to be? I wrote down some questions in my, in my journal as I was studying this passage. And they're just, they were for me, but I'll share them with you. If I had to choose between success and being more like Jesus, which would I choose? If I had to choose between being honored by others or honoring Jesus, which would I choose? If I had to choose between wealth of possessions or greater wealth of knowing Jesus, which would I choose? Am I really hungry for you, Jesus? Do I really believe that Jesus is saying, this is what happiness is. It's being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for Jesus. So what do you do when you're not hungry? Here's two thoughts as we close. The first is to admit that you're empty. If you're not hungry for him, this is what I believe because he wants to fill you is you come to him and you say, Jesus, I'm empty of you and I need you to fill me. And for you to be filled by him, you actually have to come to him empty. If you come to him filled with yourself, there's nothing that he, can, he can't fill you because you're already full. This cup of coffee here, if I want to pour amazing coffee into it, it has to be empty. If it was already filled, there would be nothing, no room for the awesome coffee to go. And for you to be satisfied by Jesus, you have to come to him empty. You have to admit you're empty. D.L. Moody said this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. He sends no one away empty except those of us who come to him full of ourselves. Will you admit that you're empty? Jesus, I want to be hungry for you. I need you. I'm empty without you. I come to you to be filled. The second is to place yourself around the food. You know, there's times when I'm not hungry, but I'm hanging out with my family in the kitchen and I end up eating even though I'm not hungry. I'm with my life group and we meet on Sunday afternoons and we, after a Bible study, we'll hang out together in a kitchen somewhere. And just because there's food there, I'll end up eating even if I'm not hungry. And so if you believe that Jesus is the one who satisfies you and you're at points in your life, and some of you are here, and I'm so proud of you for being here this morning, because if you were honest, you came here just in this hope that God would do something in your life because you're not hungry, but you put yourself around the food today. And this is good news because if you put yourself around the food, you might end up eating. And if you eat, you will find that he is better than anything else and that he satisfies and he quenches. So you place yourself around the food. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and theologian, he wrote this prayer about asking God to make him hungrier for him, thirstier for him. I want us to read this prayer individually. And then we're gonna worship and 
practice being hungry and thirsty for God. Why don't you read this prayer as we prepare our hearts to worship?
so true. Nothing, nothing compares to him. Nothing compares to him. And nothing can satisfy like he does. If there's something going on in your life that we can pray with you about, we have our prayer wall over here. A team of people would love to pray with you right by those lights. If your need is prayer for healing, our elders are in our elder prayer room. To get there, go through the doors in the back and take a right and you'll see the elder prayer room. I'm going to give us a benediction, and as we do, I also want us to pray for our high school students and our junior high students who are going to be at camp this week. We have 300 junior high students and 270 high school students that are going to be at camp, and it's awesome. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm showing up. I'm speaking Wednesday night and Thursday morning at our high school camp, and so I'm excited about being there and hanging out with them. So let's extend our hands. We're going to receive God's blessing. We're also going to pray for our students. Jesus, thank you for the junior high students and the high school students of Mariners. Lord, we pray this is an incredible week for them. I pray they'd have a great time. I pray that they would connect with each other relationally. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to be hungry and thirsty for you. That you would make them happy. As they start a new school year and... In just a couple of weeks, Lord, we pray that you would bless them. We're so thankful for them and thankful that we get to serve them. And now, Lord, with our hands extended, these are your sons and daughters. And for those who belong to you, you have made them right before God. I pray this brand new week that they would hunger and thirst for you and that you would fill them and they would find their joy and their happiness in you. I pray that you would bless them this new week, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would guard their steps and direct their paths. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Go in peace. Have a great week.